Hello, welcome to the Future Proof podcast from the north of England with Sarah Hall and Stephen Waddington. We'll be talking about what's hot and what's not on the internet in marketing, the media and public relations. Hello, Sarah. Afternoon, Stephen. So, what we're going to talk about? We've got a nice jam-packed agenda today, so we're going to talk about quite a lot about the CIPR today, a bit about fake news, got some Future Proof Edition 3 exciting news. And then a little bit about this Me Too campaign that sprung up this past week with all the... Cold Feet tonight? Yeah, Cold Feet tonight would be good. Uh, What else is on? Apprentice? Have you been watching that? It's awful, I refuse. Okay. I wouldn't hire them as an accountant, so... (laughs) Uh, Let's start with the CIPR at 70. Where are you going with that? Right, so I'm very fortunate in that when I become president in 2018, it's also the Institute's 70th birthday. Um, so it's going to be a lovely year um, celebrating the volunteers who have basically made the CIPR tick and um, just keep it keep it moving forward. Um, as part of the celebrations, we've got a whole lineup um, to come, but uh, part of the celebrations, we have a 70th uh, anniversary book. Uh, commissioned and I believe you're going to edit it for us yeah so you asked very nicely actually uh, <laughs> if I edit this um, and you know we t- we kind of think that crowdsourcing is a new thing um, that didn't exist before the internet but in fact it did and the CIPR has run projects like this um, as we've gone back through the archives and Dr John White gave me the nudge to do this um, we found that um, the CIPR created projects like this in for its 25th anniversary. For 73, that was. Yeah. 1973, was Yeah, it? 1988 uh, and 1998. Um, yeah, so we did it for the 40th and the 50th. So there's kind of a, a rich history there. Um, it's a little bit depressing to go back and look at some of the issues that, um, the, that were challenging the profession then um, because some of them remain the same, like the reputation of the profession, like training, like continuous learning like ethics so you know there's some familiar stuff in there but there's also some interesting reflective stuff looking to the future um so what we've done is put out a call completely openly for pitches we've identified five different um areas um that we want the project to focus on ranging from you know perspectives focusing on history through modern practice to the future we're calling that potential um and we've openly inviting anyone that's a member of the CIPR or is in related industries and professions to to submit a um yeah to submit proposal in fact that was one just like arriving on my outlook yeah you need to turn that off come Sorry. on be professional where's what's happening with your uh, iPhone for goodness sake and I guess um the other thing I would say is that as well as um uh, submissions by uh, members I am keen because of the focus and vision for next year which is to reinforce PR standing as a strategic management function I'm really keen to perhaps have some CEO FD voices and certainly for some human resource practitioners um, who recruit uh, chartered CIPR practitioners because uh, they see the value in that so we are opening it out so that it's a little bit broader than just membership and, and those in the industry but hopefully going to be a really great read and a, a big celebration of where we've come from and where we're headed because we've got a lot to be proud of so head to the CIPR's website or my blog waters.co.uk for more information there's recent posts on both uh, and if you navigate through the links you'll find a um link to 
the uh, contributors guidelines and also a link to a Google Doc we've created where you need to submit your ideas. Deadline uh, early November? 3rd of November, yeah, Friday the 3rd of November, so we've got two weeks to run. And then we're going to go through all the contributions, or Stephen and his team will, and um, look at them in terms of uh, how they fit in the wider context of the book, so they're complementary, we've got no yeah. duplication, and basically decide on merit, is that the plan? Yeah, So and then there's a discussion about do we self-publish this, or do we go out to a publisher that can... I'd, I'd rather self-publish because you know of the ability to control to the deadline. It's a 70th anniversary book. It's quite important we hit the 70th anniversary. So I think we're going to end up self-publishing, but we've had interest from a, a couple of publishers that work with the CIPR, so we'll see. Okay, great. Next. Yes, so this is one I'm quite excited by. Right. It's a major event I'm sharing at the CIPR on the 22nd of November. This is the November. CIPR show. It is. Are they sponsoring? <laughs> We're volunteers, remember? It's good. Anyway, um, no, this is going to be great. So we've got some brilliant speakers, including um, Charlie Beckett, who you might know because he's a professor um, at the London School of Economics. Um, we've got Grant Feller, who's a journalist and content consultant. And he actually, the, the idea for this event first came from a piece that I saw of his in the Press Gazette, which talked about how um, the lack of investment um, in in local media is one of the reasons that uh, potentially um, tra tragedies like Grenfell Tower were happening because right. when actually resources were high, you'd have always had journalists at, for example, council meetings who would have called out any any potential issues by you know and uh, the the councillors choosing to to go for a more cost effective route. Anyway, so Grant will be speaking. We've got Laura McInerney from um, Schools Week and the Guardian. And I'm thrilled to say that um, thanks to Kevin Taylor, who's on the board with me at CIPR, we've got Matthew Rodder, MP, uh, and uh, I think he sits on the media uh, committee at uh, Westminster, so that's really, really useful. But basically, it's about how we, what the situation is with modern journalism today, and actually whether resource-styled um, media organisations can actually serve society, and with specific reference to, to Grenfell. So it's going to be a really good debate, and um, I think it's going to cover an awful lot of things, and actually what the implications are for PR practitioners as resources continue to drop. So there was uh, a couple of the individuals on this panel were at an event on Monday that I was invited to via Omnicom. Um, at the BBC, a World Economic Forum panel, thinking about topics for the media and technology streams for the forum um, next year. Um, and Charlie was one of the contributors. Um, and he's about to, to lead a project, I think, at the LSE about... Media Policy Project, it's yeah. called. So, so he's looking into doing some research in, into this area. I mean, so the general tenant was... Uh, uh, newsrooms are uh, really, really struggling um, for all the reasons that we know and are, are well rehearsed. Um, and you know, what's the role of the platforms like Facebook and Google in that world? And ah, they they so seem to—they're making moves towards um, various initiatives, um, but I, I don't think they're moving fast enough. All right, so you're talking about his Truth, Trust, and Technology Commission, I think. This is Charlie. Charlie yeah, Becker, Charlie, yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, so yeah, so that was an inter really interesting session I attended Monday. Unfortunately, it was um, Chatham House Rules, so I can't really talk about it. Chatham House Rule. Rule, that's what I rule. said. Rule. You, rule. you said rules. Rule, I did, not, for that. I did not. I've written extensively about it. Anyway, this event, again, it's on the CIPR newsroom if you want to have a look. Uh, it's called Is a Lack of Investment in Local Media Damaging Society? 22nd of November. 
Yeah, I know, but I will be in the front row. It explains. It does what it says in the tweet. Writing shorthand. And it's really interesting because obviously we've always relied on media. You're sharing it. I am sharing it. I'm trying to get a bit out here. Shush. So um, anyway, I'm interested because we've always relied on media to hold power to accounts. This is changing because they're not able to do right. so. And actually, what are the implications for us, not just as an industry, but for society? And I think they're pretty far-reaching. Good. How's your week been on tr- Twitter? It's been absolutely amazing. Well, there's been a few ups and downs in terms of, you know, calling a bit of bad practice out, but my engagement's through the roof. <laughs> Twitter's becoming increasingly feisty, don't you think? Um, I think Sorry, it depends... that was a leading question. I think Twitter's becoming increasingly feisty. I think it depends on who you are and what you get up to. If you use it as a broadcast channel, I bet your engagement's dead as a dodo. Right. But there are some good, for those that do engage, there are some feisty old arguments going on. And you can see people are becoming braver in calling out bad stuff, right? The other problem is, is that because people think they've got a voice on Twitter or have got a voice on Twitter, they think that their opinion is equal to everybody else's. And basically some people aren't. Anyway, as we discovered again... Well, I've got at least 10 people engaged with me because I know from my analytics. How about you? I've got loads. Seriously, I was looking at my analytics. My and last I, two days well, are nuts. Are absolutely So what? Nuts. Um, I was out Let one night this out. week, one night. What was I doing? And they, you had to, you got into some discussion, the skinny... Right, skinny pig. pig. So there's a local... Uh, oh, this is in Lad Bible, for goodness sake. Cred points for you for that. Good pitching, that is, that is, yeah. And um, Metro, there's a great piece in the, in the Metro by... A, fellow feminazi and i'll explain that in a second in that we've got a local exercise um group called skinny pigs and um uh, they've got these interesting posters that have gone up by schools and basically it says we'll help you look uh, better naked and that wouldn't be so bad but it's got an unfortunate picture of um a fat person and then uh, a i quite one. like to look better naked well yes but do you want kids to be worrying about whether they look good naked no. So it's next to the no, school. Okay, that's One of cool. my friends tweeted them about it, and actually the response was incredibly aggressive. So right. I asked them if, on reflection that was appropriate. Right. And then I'm not kidding. Were you really that polite? I was actually that polite. Yeah, that's no, what I said. Right. For me, I was very well behaved, mainly because my friend Heather was involved. And then all literally everything kicked off. And then um, thankfully, loads of other comms people came to my rescue. So I went off for a bath while they all fought the comms <laughs> for me. <laughs> But basically, long and short of it, there's a great piece in Metro which uh, pulls it together. This guy was basically alienating all his female target audience and called quite a few, as, I, few of us feminazis and suggested we were going to die in a room with lots of cats, which perhaps not the best form of social, social media management. Social engagement, no, yeah. no. There is a, yeah, the, 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 that whole market though for personal exercise, personal instruction, is it's like PR in that there is no regulation. Anyone can set them up as a... You've got a, a particular interest in this now, no, haven't you? No, no, Stephen's I'm... just signed up with a personal trainer. Not... <laughs> He's now looking into it in detail as he does with everything. I want to look good skinny. Um... No, you don't have to be skinny. You just have to be healthy. And that doesn't necessarily equate with being skinny okay that's also my problem apart from his attitude this guy's attitude might have a problem with this whole you can only look good if you're thin that's not the case right thanks for that you're welcome that's reassuring to all those middle-aged white men out there yeah but you well, work I... hard to maintain that porky porky physique <laughs> takes effort goodness me um there's been some good stuff though going on on twitter me too me too, yeah. So that's obviously been really fascinating to see that 
play out. Also, really this sad, is a though, hashtag. Very emotive and, and very upsetting, um, by the way, at the same time. I mean, I got, I got, so I think it was Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, I got up on my Facebook feed and it was just full and full of stories of women sharing, well, either posting Me Too or uh, or uh, the hashtag indicating that they too had... had um, yeah, so let's let's contextualise it. Obviously, right, there's this news of Hollywood and Harvey Weinstein, who finally has been called out for years and years and years of sexual abuse towards women. And um, I think it was, I'm trying to think of the lady's name, Rose McGowan, a famous actress, um, had suggested that actually if everybody was to, who had been affected or had a similar experience in some way, shape or form, was to tweet me too, that actually it would perhaps give an idea of the scale of the problem. And like Stephen said, actually, it's it's more than gone viral. It's absolutely crackers. There's, there was nobody in my feed that that didn't come out and say, yeah, me too. And it doesn't matter whether it's just a, an extra squeeze of the hand or a back pat or something that's said that's been lewd. You know, everybody had their own example. Yeah, and men as well, to be fair. That's, that's true. We're not making it only a female issue, no. but actually it happens much more yeah, towards women. And actually it's ingrained sexual misogyny. So actually, Skinny Poo, to go back to that story, I think that's a fascinating example of this. So this guy is busy abusing loads of women, and then he's got other women coming to his coming to his defence and going, oh, you know, leave his own alone. community. Yeah, yeah, his own community, despite the fact he was being incredibly, incredibly aggressive and, and derogatory towards mm. other women. And I was just like, wow, that just shows you actually how ingrained it is in our culture. Yeah, I think he's tweet- deleted most of the tweets now. But I've got all the screen grabs. <laughs> <laughs> and so actually has Metro and Love yeah. Bible. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, discourse on Twitter, it's increasingly feisty. Mm. I, so, so we look at this day in, day out in, in, in you know, the work we do. Um, but, you know, I think it's just become real life, to be honest. And I think, you know, if you, if you want to see public discourse as it really is, uh, in, in real life, go and look below in the comments section on the Daily Mail or Guardian yeah, Online, true, and they're, they're moderated for goodness sake. It's so often pretty vile. Um, I think, I, I think twi- Twitter has become real life. I think the only problem is, is that people say Not stuff a nice on there. Place. I don't like it anymore. Oh, well, I'm still playing nicely. <laughs> no, the, the problem with it is that people will say stuff to other people, whether they know them or not, that they would not say face to face. Right, and that's the biggest. So you would. Well, yeah, but. I might couch it slightly better. Um, I mean, the other thing is, actually, to go back to the Me Too campaign, and I think this is a really important point for... I don't think it was a campaign. I think it was oh, well. organic. Yeah, well, the meme or, or whatever. The meme. Yeah. The, um, the point I'm going to make is that I saw a really great quote from a guy called Jackson Katz, and he's the co-founder of Mentors and what Violence Prevention. Name. I think he's American. He'd have to right. be with that, wouldn't he? That's it's a brilliant ace. name. Um, anyway, he um, talks about how important it is not to use the passive voice when it comes to right. things like um, sexual well, abuse. Well, ever, but um, I know you're very strong on your writing. Always, yeah, you know, I hate passive voice. But um, it's really important because actually if you look at news uh, reporting, um, they talk about the number of sexual assaults on women rather than the sexual, number of sexual assaults by men, which takes away the onus from the perpetrator. Yeah. So his quote was like, um, I've just got it up here, and it said, 
The use of the passive voice shifts the focus off men and boys and onto girls and women. Blaming victims and minimising the harms they have suffered is much easier than holding people accountable, especially the powerful and well-connected. So, yeah, there's some interesting work being done about this in newsrooms. Mad shaking off there. Sorry if you heard that. Clearly not impressed with the quality of discourse on this podcast. Um, Some interesting work being done done in newsrooms around this. You know, news news organisations accused of bias because of the makeup of the journalists. In fact, you know, one of the leading newsrooms um, that's trying to address this is BuzzFeed, um, you know, trying to reflect the communities that it reports on so that it is part of those communities rather than being a bunch of middle class white people reporting, you know, in the third person almost. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've 35% of their newsroom is, is um, uh, BME. Uh, it's diverse you know 15% LGBT no it's uh, which is great it's the way it's got to it's the way it's got to it's the way the media businesses have got to be yeah look at their engagement on on, uh, Twitter it's incredible they also write good stuff no they really and they've got some absolutely brilliant reporters Um, but you know the the Me Too thing's been fascinating and obviously then sprung up the um, himbo hashtag uh, and this was created by a lady called Liz Plank on Twitter, who just basically said, how many women would it take to say me too before men talk about himbo? Imagine a world where the burden was on men to share their shame rather than women. And I actually thought that was a really interesting point. So it's, it's, it's been fascinating to watch it move on and how that evolves. But the point still remains that we can talk about it until the cows come home. We need to have cultural and behavioural change. And part of that is... You know, I look at my kids, so I've got two boys of five and six, and I've got, you know, my, I've got the onus on me to bring them up to be respectful to women and to understand mm. that they need to speak out when they see something that's wrong. Well, respectful to everyone. Well, yeah, yeah. but particularly in this context, yeah. to understand yeah. where the boundaries are. Yeah. Deep Ooh. breath, move on. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about, we've got, you wanted to talk about fake news, and you were sharing, along with Karen Chadder, these horrendous memes no. for two days. <laughs> Fake news, shake news. If you go back on Twitter, so the two we, of them have been amusing themselves to... Karen you know, and I go out for breakfast about once a month. Big fry up. As ever. As a, yeah. Two and a half thousand calories on a plate. It's fantastic. Um, Frank's in, in Southwark Street in London. Highly recommend it. One of the last greasy spoons in that area of London. Um, but... Uh, we were uh, we were just being grumpy old men and bemoaning the lack of sub editors and decent copywriters, um, and you know we've got this this big issue this issue of fake news and there's so much you could do as clearly Karen has tried to do uh, in hacking that as a as a headline. So yeah, <laughs> he's, he's he's obviously not got enough to do this week because he's been busy. It's, it's been relentless. He's been <laughs> relentless with his Photoshop. Um, it's been great. I think he fits it in on the school run or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, fake news. But it's true. The truism is, um, you know, um, sub-editor newsrooms can't afford sub-editors anymore. It's a dying skill. Um, you know, there's people like me that were trained as journalists that. Um, tinker every now back and again. Back in the day, people like Steve Earle, my old colleague, um, you know, who were great at punnery and uh, mainly amused ourselves and occasionally people on Facebook with it. But uh, there's no serious point out of this. <laughs> no, actually, they're fake news, and we could take that onto something more serious. Because um, I'm doing shortly for CIPR Northeast an event, I think it's 
Tuesday the 7th, I don't know if I've made that date up, but in November. Fake news. Yeah, doing a piece on fake news and actually the implication for brand management and it's um, a similar presentation to the one I gave. What is the implication for brand management? Similar one to the gaze to the Westminster Media Forum, Stephen. And the interesting thing is you have to think about um, all the kind of content that's going up online and the huge amount and the volume that goes out every minute and actually what it what it means to your brand reputationally if it was to if you had something that was to appear next to something that was for example inciting racial hatred or yeah. something like or terrorism or something yeah. like that and what's really interesting the point I was going to make was that um, when I was speaking at the Westminster Media Forum, the ad industry seems to be all over this, but actually this is a massive issue for us in PR, and it's something we definitely need to start to get our heads around because it is a problem. Yeah, it, it's so program. The ad industry tackling it because of the programmatic issue that you know, they have no control. Algorithms are controlling how ads appear mm. on a on a web page, uh, and you know that needs to be sorted out. Um, the, the you know cases where content is mangled um, deliberately or fake news is published deliberately by brands I suggest a few and far between it's, I mean it's a very good campaigning tactic mm. um, for spreading misinformation but well, I, I, you know, I'm not aware of you know there's two agendas for it isn't campaign. it it's either for making money right. for pushing people to a website that you're trying to monetize right or for propaganda purposes yeah yeah they're the two main yeah. proponents yeah. of fake news but it's something that everybody should be aware of and thinking about and it should be planned, put, put into your risk Needs assessment be, yeah. plans part of your risk, risk assessment risk yeah. assessment crisis monitoring for sure so we can cross fake news off have you got anything else before we go for the exciting future proof news what's the exciting future proof news do I know this we've got addition so you're st- you're um, yeah, <laughs> I'm busy okay. getting on with you hang on Stephen. <laughs> No, before we do that, though, you've you've published every now and again. You publish well, every now and again. It's becoming weekly at the moment. You publish uh, new essays on the Future Proof community. There's been two really good We've ones had recently. Some absolutely cracking ones. Yeah. I love. In fact, one of my very favourites is the one that went live today from Liz, right. Liz Bridgen, who has just uh, co-edited a book with um, Dejan Vercic. I hope oh, I yeah. pronounced that right, Dejan. I'm sorry. Um, called uh, Experiencing Public Relations, which looks really great and it looks quite provocative. So I've just ordered it from a Routledge and it looks at all the voices who are pretty hidden in public relations in terms of you have, you know, kind of your dominant coalition who are very white, a uh, little bit pale, male and stale, uh, you know, though I, I will count myself amongst that, um, and who, um, you know, talk about PR as a strategic management function, but aren't the people day to day who are doing the do um, interesting that the front the front cover of the book has a lady covered in tattoos, so it might be people who are who are just not what you see in the textbooks and uh, in any literature about public relations, but the people who are you know working uh, during the day, perhaps having to find workarounds in um, in the workplace to do the jobs they're being asked um, within the resources and the time that they've got, which doesn't necessarily also fit with ethics as we would see it day to day. Absolutely fascinating piece. Please do look at futureproofandcoms.co.uk or follow the We Are Proofed uh, Twitter handle. It's on there and getting quite a lot of traction. It's just well worth a read, and now I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Book. She says as community manager and editor. Well, yeah, it is. So obviously, I'm biased, but I I don't always plug the stuff that we get. That one fair, is definitely a fail. You filter out a lot of shit as well. Yeah, I had to go back to some the other day and say, I'm sorry, this doesn't quite meet the quality threshold. Okay, you do, yeah, you do. Uh, there was the other one. There was another one I, I uh, landed in my email uh, inbox about leadership as well. 
Um, Which one was that? Was it very recent? Very recent, yeah. Switch. Sorry, I've, I've... You've gone completely blank. I've crushed it. <laughs> so no, by an ex-ITN guy. Oh, no, it wasn't uh, the leadership. Oh, you're talking about uh, where are the voices? Yeah. Expert voices. You, you confused me by using the word leadership. So it was kind of that, but actually it was about... Um, it was more to do with where are the appropriate spokespeople and why are they not coming forward anymore? Really great. That was another really great piece that was pitched us and um, I was chuffed to bits with that as well. Really fascinating in terms of why we don't see the people who could really help shed insight and the problem that you have with 24-7 news where it's just on a, you know, just on a constant loop every yeah. half an hour and how that actually really doesn't help journalists or media or trust in the media. Yeah, QED. Yeah. I couldn't remember the thing. <laughs> couldn't remember the so author. So that one's right, called All Quiet at the Top, Why the Voices of Authority Have Fallen Silent. And that was from ex-BBC and ITN newsreader Andrew Harvey. Right, so thanks okay. for that, Andrew. And thanks to you, Liz, as well, because, like I say, I'm chuffed a bit to the last few pieces. So we'll, I will read that properly and we'll put links to both of them in the show notes. Uh, edition 3. Had a crack. You had a crack at this. It didn't quite work. Yeah, well, so I had a brilliant idea. I still think it's a good idea. No, me too. So edition. It was a media edition, and actually, I had the chapters scoped out and I made a number of approaches and I got bites for them. So I had yeah. people signed up. The problem I've got is that the people I wanted and the topics we wanted kind of kept evolving because we've got obviously this ongoing political situation. Mm. We had the general election, then we had Brexit, and then we mm. had Trump. And um, I could see that actually I wasn't going to hit the deadlines. So basically, on the media edition, it's pressed pause. It's not gone away because this I'm still no, uh, I still believe in that panel you talked about at the top of the show. Exactly. Yeah. And then, um, but then um, I had a chat with uh, a really good friend and ex colleague of mine, Liz Davies, and she was telling me uh, we were talking about our Liz. Our Liz, yeah, yeah. lovely Lizzie. Um, talking about the CIPR at seventeen, she said actually the NHS is also seventeen next year. So obviously I told her about the book we were planning and then conversation got on further to how we could maximise this. I then, um, we went to the House of Lords, didn't we, for uh, the Fellows Lunch of the CIPR and I met Rachel Royal, who's head of digital for NHS. And um, just, you know, when minds meet, she also mentioned about the 70th anniversary and I'd said about being interested in doing something potentially for Future Proof. And being Future Proof Edition 3 has been born. So the theme is... Uh, the NHS at 70 and lessons for the wider PR community. And I am super excited about how this is shaping up. Um, we're going to look at all the best practice that goes on, history of the NHS, the legacy, the implications for society, uh, all, some, all some topics like um, key things on strategy and leadership, um, you know, innovation, but really practical things as you'd expect, like the other editions to do with um, procurement, change management. Um, Public health behavioural change. One of the ones I'm really keen to see is uh, the chapter on politics and the implications when you have to deal with, obviously, a government you don't know how long they're going to be in power for, and then you have different parties who have different agendas. So, quite frankly, um, I'm totally got my mojo back over this. Can't wait to get going. The plan is to have this published uh, in the first quarter of 2018. I am putting together a, a chapter list. Uh, it will go out, but it is a very niche. Um, it is a very niche edition, so I'm looking for very particular people this time. I'm also got a number of meetings that I just need to see with head honchos at the NHS and uh, NHS improvement and digital. Uh, so once they're done, I will properly go public with with what this will look like. So you have to bear with me for probably a month or so yet. 
but it's in the works. It's going to be brilliant. I owe massive thanks to Rachel Royal and to Claire Riley, uh, based in the Northeast, and of course to my mate Liz Lee for basically being brilliant. So watch this space. How excited? I'm totally excited by this. Good. You got someone to write the forward. Maybe you do it yourself. Let's say. <sighs> no, you're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, get the chairman of the trust or something. I've got a few ideas for that. Have you? Yeah. Good. Right. Don't you worry. Going to be busy next year. <laughs> yeah. Who needs sleep? That's what I say. Um, tips. You always like a tip. I like a tip. Have you seen anything interesting? Yeah, my tip is before you order a new king size bed, get your tape measure out because actually it might just dwarf your bedroom a little bit. Is that about it? What about you? <laughs> what have you seen that's interesting? You're getting the tape measure for Christmas. I'm for not having sure. a tape measure. You for are for you sure. You still are not used. So there's the, one in the, in the drawer in the, the kitchen. Third or fourth time now you've done something like this. All right, so no, you're just. I bought the parrot mirror for the boat. <laughs> And okay, we've had to move location, but that's only because you refuse to move we, the radiator, all, yeah. <laughs> which I think is really unfair and a little bit, you know, it's difficult on your behalf. Uh, two plant containers arrived this week. Yeah, the plant but... containers are beautiful, and he's decided that one of them is too big to be on the boat with the smaller one, whereas I think we should hang one, but hey-ho. Uh, there was something there... I can't remember. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, you can just tell whether it'll work or not from looking at it. No, it's one thing about the internet. <laughs> you need to measure. There's a great, there's a great job about six inches and wine men about it parking, but I'll not tell you about it here. That's so <laughs> that's so <laughs> right. Well, that's been fun. That's been fun. There's a piece of work there. I have my tip, my number. I've got a number. Uh, Piper Jaffrey. Um, I've Pardon? done. Bless you. <laughs> Piper Jaffrey, uh, a, a VC in the US, uh, a research house, have done some work on the teenage market. And um, it's with 6,000 US teens. But I think the, the work, um, you can probably translate it neatly over to, to certain, certainly Western European audiences. 47% of teens prefer Snapchat, 24% Instagram, 9% Facebook. I just thought it was interesting and a good indicator of you know, where teens are uh, in media. What did they say about daddy or chips? <laughs> <laughs> chips. When you're a teenager, definitely chips. And Green Smart. No, not Green Smart. Orange Smart. Oh, how did we forget? What's Asda that? has exclusively got rights for stocking tubes of Orange Smarties. I've been. I've stocked up. This shit just got real. That's an amazing deal. Who, who does One pound per tube. Who negotiated the rights on that deal? I have no idea, that's... but I really should be an affiliate now because I've put so many people their way. And have that's you? where my Twitter engagement's coming from. <laughs> it's been good. Right, we're off for uh, 10 days or so. Uh, we're going, going to Sorrento, southern Italy. That should be nice. You'll probably want to do a podcast there. Brace yourself. No, I'm gonna, I want to get my blogging mojo back. I've, I've kind of fallen out of blogging a little bit. I'm hoping I'll you know, do one or two a day. One or two a week, sorry. I was going to say, that's going to be exciting. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm hitting the pool. See you later. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Future Proof Podcast with Sarah Hall and Stephen Waddington. You can follow Sarah on Twitter, at Hallmeister, that's H-A-L-L-M-E-I-S-T-E-R, and Stephen at Wads, W-A-D-D-S. 
For more information about Future Proof, visit futureproofingcoms.co.uk. Until next time, see you on the internet.